Let's pray. Father, as we worship you on this resurrection celebration, this Sunday called Easter, Lord, I pray the, one of the main words that, that comes to our life today and our hearts as we think of you is, is absolutely worthy. That we see you as, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the true sovereign over all creation. Bring us into a humble submission to you, an adoration of who you are, a wonder of how great you truly are, and transform our hearts so that we wouldn't live in a state of fear here on this earth, but that you would recreate us and refashion us into joyful image bearers of God. Thank you for the life that you give us through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A reading from the Gospel of John. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the door is being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. We're starting a, a new season of life today. We've gone through six weeks of, of Lent, and today our waiting is over. We've, gone, we've seen them go to the empty tomb and, and find that Jesus is no longer dead. What a shock that must have been to see him killed and dead and then alive once again. What a joy that must have been for them. It was not just a joyful experience to see him, but at first it was quite fearful. They didn't know what, would hap- what had happened. In fact, you just heard from the scriptures that they were huddled together in this place, and they were fearful. Not an abstract fear either. There was a specific fear. They were afraid that the people that had killed Jesus were now going to come after them. What's going to happen to us now? Jesus is gone. She says he's alive, but there's this great fear that's over them. There are probably many other fears that they had as well. Fear is a powerful emotion, and we all deal with it in some way, shape, or form. This past week at Connect Group, at our our home, we were talking about fears, and, and I asked them, what are you afraid of? What's your greatest fear? And I shared mine. I share with them that my greatest fear is being on an airplane 
having the doors shut, and then having stomach issues. You know? That's scary. That's frightening. You're on the plane. You can't go anywhere. It's just tiny little restroom. All these people crammed in this small little space. It's fearful. It scares me. In fact, I think my only anxiety attack happened because of that. That's why it's my greatest fear. After I shared that icebreaker of, of how we can have fears that seem really out there and we can laugh about, we started sharing from our heart other things that we're really fearful about. We talked about fear of being alone. We talked about fear of being isolated and lonely. We talked about other fears that we have of being weak or being powerless, unable to do anything. We talked about the fear of being irrelevant, finding out at the end of your life that everything I worked for, everything that I was aiming for, wasn't worth it. That was a fear. Perhaps the greatest fear of all people is losing love. You finally find this love that you've been searching for. And instead of being afraid now of being alone, you're afraid that that precious love will be taken away. So you see, fear is not just about feeling scared because of a a movie or walking through a dark alleyway at 2 a.m. Fear can grip our lives and overwhelm us in a myriad of ways. But Easter gives us hope over fear. Easter is about having the worst fear, all of our fears, conquered by the Lord. The resurrection is more than just securing eternal life that comes after death. It's more than that. The resurrection conquers all fears for those who are in Christ. Fears are removed. When we are in Christ, we don't have to live in fear anymore. The reason we don't is because, as God says to us in in 2 Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. There are many different reasons why we are fearful in our own specific ways. You may not have the same aversion to airplanes as, as I do. You may have different fears. You may not have the fear of being lonely because you have love. You may not fear losing love because you're secure in other ways. But there is more than likely at least one area in life where fear is attacking you. And while we may have different fears and different ways in which fear works in our life, I suggest that at the root of all of those fears is the same problem. At the base of all those types of fears is one issue. Something, something has become an idol in our life. Something has become more precious to us. Something has become more important to us than God. So today, we want to look at this text, and we want to see how we can live a life where God is turning fear into joy. We're going to see in in three ways He's going to do that, through God's presence, 
through God's power, and through His purpose. Let's look first at God's presence in our life. If you want to make notes on the back of your folder, you can do that there. We've provided that for you in the back. We're talking about God's presence and taking fear and turning it into joy. I remember when I was growing up, I was very young, and thunderstorms used to really scare me. I grew up in, in the South, and thunderstorms were frequent, but they would also get very, they, they were not always severe, but sometimes they would be really bad. And the loud thunder and the flash of lightning would really scare me, and it, I would awake in the middle of the night and be trembling at the, oh, I physically, used, sometimes the thunder would shake the house even. And I would be trembling, and I would yell out, Mom! 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 And she was, she was a deep sleeper, so I had to yell it over and over. I was terrified. I was frightened. But she would come running to me. She would open the door, and she would walk in, and immediately her presence brought a level of comfort and safety to my life. Just simply her being there. She didn't have to say anything at this moment. Just the fact that I wasn't alone, the fact that she was there, brought joy and comfort to my heart. Look with me in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for, why? For fear of the Jews. They're terrified. They're scared. Jesus came and he stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Their fear turned into joy. The word peace here, when Jesus says, peace be with you, is the word irene. It's the Greek word translated peace. What it means is harmony, tranquility. (sighs) Things are right. It's very much like the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom means peace in the Old Testament. And it's not just peace like feeling restful, but it's a total peace. It's prosperity. It's emotional health, it's spiritual health, it's physical health. It's total peace in every dimension. And Jesus is saying to them, peace be to you. It's a security that Jesus is speaking over them associated with being in the presence of God. He said, peace be to you. To you, literally. Peace be to you. He had to encourage them with these words. It's not likely either that he just said it once and they said, oh, okay, now we're at peace here. In fact, the the word is written in an active present saying, or tense, so it's saying to them that he said it over and over more than likely, that he kept saying this to them, peace be to you, peace be to you, peace be to you. Like my mother on those scary nights when the thunderstorms, Her presence, yes, brought comfort to me. But often, she had to tell me over and over, it's okay, Daniel, it's okay. She would rub my back, it's okay. You're all right. I'm here. You're safe. So Jesus is comforting them with peace. They were together. They were locked in a room because they were frightened. And then Jesus showed up. And he began to comfort them with his words. But not just his words. He showed them his hands. Look, 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 guys. 
It's me. It's really me. Look, check out my side. This is where they pierced me. Peace be to you. It's really me. They were alone and they were frightened. But then the Lord's presence showed up. He was there. And he started turning their fear into joy. The disciples, it says at the end of that verse, the second verse, it says they were glad. And it goes, it's further than that. Our English falls short. They rejoiced. They were happy. They were glad. Yes. It's Jesus. So their fear turned into joy as they experienced the presence of God in their life. So the first way for us to turn fear into joy is to experience the presence of God. The second way is God's power. God's presence and God's power. Since I brought up airplanes earlier, it might be appropriate to to let you know that every time I fly, I am reminded of how powerless I am. There's literally nothing, maybe not literally, but there's likely nothing I can do to ensure that that plane will get to its destination in a safe way. I am totally at the mercy of someone else. I am powerless. Now, I could help quite a bit if the pilot said, hey, Daniel, I need some help up here. My co-pilot is sick, you know, stomach issues. He's really frightened of it, so he's hiding in the back. That was funny. It's all right to laugh in here. I don't know, first time guess, it's okay to laugh. So it's, uh, he, he's in the back. So come on up to the cockpit. I want you to help me. Now, I need you to push this button. I need you to set the dial here. Now, I could do those things. I can follow instructions. But I'm powerless to do it on my own. And so a way for us to find release from fear and to find joy from fear is by trusting in God's power. Look with me in John chapter 20, verse 22. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. We see God's power here. So the word breathed here is a powerful word. It's a life-giving word. So when God, if you go back to the creation in the, in the Garden of Eden, when God gave life to Adam, he breathed life into him. And so now we see a recreation. God is, is resurrecting. There's a new way of life. And now Jesus is doing the same thing. He is breathing life into the, the, the lives of the disciples. He's breathing the very power of God onto them. Because he has a task for them. And we'll get to that in just a second. But he has a job for them to do. And it's an impossible one for them to do without the presence and without the power of God in their life. He's telling them, guys, you're going to need to trust me as a co-pilot in my situation who knows nothing and needs to trust the pilot and do what I say and receive my power, trust my knowledge. I'm going to give you power. You need my power to accomplish the mission that I have for you. And so a way for us and a way for them to have fear turned into joy in our life is for us to stop relying on our own power but rely upon the power of God, and that's the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to the third way for us to find our fear turning into joy. It's God's purpose. We have God's presence and God's power, but now we have God's purpose. I was reading a book a few years back and it talked about an elderly man who had been married for almost 50 years, and his wife passed away. And he was deeply burdened and kept going to the pastor and, 
and seeking counsel from him. And he was devastated. And so the pastor asked him, he said, so tell me, what do you think would happen if, if your wife were in your place? What if you had passed away and now she was mourning your loss? How do you think she would be doing? And he said, oh, she, it, it would be terrible. She'd be devastated. I don't think she could make it. And so the pastor told him, you've been given a gift. Instead of her feeling crushed by the weight of losing you, you are now able to, bury, uh, to carry this burden for her. And that's not going to be easy. But I want that to bring comfort to you. Because in your grief, you are expressing and you are able to love her in this special way. In some ways, his burden was lightened. But the reason it would be lightened is because he had purpose. I get it. There is a point behind it. I mean, one of us, we're probably going to have to go first. It's rare that people die at the same time. So there's a purpose behind this. I can carry this burden for her. And so it makes that burden bearable for him as he sees the purpose behind it. And his purpose is to protect his wife. Look with me in John chapter 20, verse 21, as we see God's purpose for the disciples. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, guys, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So we see the presence of God and the power of God, and it's only when you receive those that we are to have the purpose of God, because we can really mess up on this purpose. If we don't have the presence of God and the power of God, then you're missing the needed element of humility to go out and live the purpose of God in your life. The disciples were commanded to do this purpose too. It wasn't a suggestion. They were commanded to go to forgive sins and to retain sins. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a second. I thought only God had the power to forgive sins. And you're exactly right. I'm glad you caught that. He is the only one who can forgive sins. But Jesus was saying God is going to forgive the sins of people through you. You're not going to do that. But he is going to do that through you because this command comes after you receive the Holy Spirit. After you get the command of, I am sending you. He's going to use this group of people to reach more and more people, to reach more and more groups. This gospel that he has is going to reach across cultural lines. It's going to reach across ethnic lines. The disciples are going to start this process or start implementing this process that Jesus had begun. You see, Jesus started the mission and he created the process and he perfected the plan, but then he commissioned them to go out and do the work. I started it. I'm getting it going. I've accomplished everything. It is finished. Look at me, my hands, my side. It's finished. But now there's a job for you. You're going to go and you're going to build my church. I'm going to build the church through you and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I, the Lord, 
I'm going to work through you to reach all nations. See, they're not trying to be Jesus. They're not trying to take His place. They're simply implementing His achievement. He has done it all. And now their purpose is to follow His lead. They're not commissioned to go out and replicate His life, to be just like Him, because that would be impossible. His disciples didn't simply continue what He had started either, but they purposed to continually point people to Jesus. It's about Him. Look to Him. This is our purpose in life, is to point people to the accomplishment of Him. To point people to Jesus. Our purpose is the same. That's our purpose this Easter. It's to point people to what Christ has done for us. It's not about Connection Church being the best church in a story, which we know it is. It's not about us going out and, and making the, a great impression on people so that they will think greatly about ourselves. It's about pointing people to Jesus. No matter what we do, whether we eat, drink, or, or whatever, do all things for the glory of the Lord. It's about pointing people to His perfection. It's about pointing people, as He said to them, to the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. How great is it that we are forgiven because of the work He has done for us? That's wonderful news. But it's also, listen carefully, it's also our calling and our purpose to let people know that forgiveness does not come any other way. Jesus very clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's not a braggadocious statement. That is actually a a wonderful statement. He is saying, the only way that you can be right with God is not by working yourself up in order to be right with Him, because all you're doing in that process is feeling better about yourself. Look at me. I go to church. I do this. I tithe. I give to the poor. I do all these charities. I am a good Christian. Aren't you proud of me now? God says, no. It's not about what you've done. The only way I will be pleased with you is when I look down, as I did on my son when he was baptized in the Jordan, and I look down and I see Jesus, and I say, this is my son. In him, I am well pleased. And when we are in Christ, when we are forgiven, and we are in him, and we come into a, a relationship with God through grace, God is pleased with us. Not because we've done something good, but because we recognize that we need a Savior. We need Jesus. And now we are well-pleasing to God. But this command of going and telling people about Christ is a burdensome command, and it's impossible to do unless we are doing it with the presence and the power of God. Otherwise, we're going to make a big mess. But if we are walking with God, and if we're empowered by His Holy Spirit, we will find empowerment in seeing God change the world through us. And He will remove all fear, because we realize no matter what happens to this vessel, to this body, it's all good. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite, I quote him a lot because I read a lot of his stuff, but he said he was in a cab, I think he was in England, and he was in a cab, and he's in a, a, a different denomination, and they were having some issues over something, and uh, the cab driver said, so, so you're, you're a bishop. He said, yeah, I'm with the uh, Church of England. He said, oh, you guys are having issues over, over this issue, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, the cab driver said, well, you know, here's how I see it. 
If the resurrection is true, if it really is true that Jesus rose from the dead, the rest is just all rock and roll, man. <laughs> and he said, I think I just found the, the, the title for my next sermon, my next Easter sermon. I think he preached it. The rest is just rock and roll. If the resurrection is really true, now we, we need, we're going to talk about the rest of things, but this is what it's all about. It's about resurrection. There is new life. What was once dead, the one who was once dead is now alive, and all those who are in Christ have that same promise. And we're free to rock and roll. The world can do its worst to us, and we can live with joy. Fear can actually be removed from our life. That sounds exciting to me. It's been challenging for me this week to see how many areas in my life that fear pops up. And now I'm starting to strike them down. You know why? Because the resurrection. It really doesn't matter. All of these things that I find myself fearful over doesn't matter. The presence of God in my life, the power of God in my life, the purpose of God is to point people to Jesus. Our greatest fears outside or, or in the world are relieved in Christ. Being alone is a great fear. Being isolated and lonely. Perhaps that idol I mentioned earlier at the base of that, perhaps that idol is relationship. This means you won't feel complete until you have this kind of relationship to bring value to your life. But the gospel brings us freedom from this idol because the presence of God guarantees that we will never be alone. We have the presence of God in our life, in Jesus. The creator of all things notices us. He cares for us so much that he gave his life for us. It is true that the greatest thing on God's mind when he was on the cross was the glory of God. But it is also true that he chose to glorify God the most by giving his life for us. Hallelujah. What a way to bring glory to God. You are so loved and so precious to him that he gave his life for you. Now tell me that you've got to have that relationship. The creator of the universe loves you, adores you, chases after you. He is jealous for you. The gospel fills that void. Maybe our idol or our fear is weakness and being powerless. Perhaps our idol is power. We want control over things and we can't seem to find it. But the gospel brings healing from this. Because the power of God guarantees that we will never be weak because He is strong. It's not our power we're relying on, but it's God's power. And there's no such thing as defeat for God because He has overcome it all. In Christ, we have the power of God living within us and working within us. What about irrelevance? We're fear, fearful that our life won't account for anything. We're fearful because we don't know what direction in life we're supposed to go. Perhaps our idol is achievement. We want to accomplish these things. We want to, to work and to build so people will think better of us. But the gospel brings us freedom also from this idol. Because the purpose of God guarantees that no matter what we choose to do with our lives, we can always be pointing people to Jesus. We don't have to worry about measuring up 
to the standards the world has set for us because we have been given purpose by the ultimate judge, Jesus. And we've been commissioned by Him to go to tell the world, to release the prisoners of sin from the, with the gospel and to warn those who reject Him. This is a purpose that we are all here for, to preach freedom to the captives. Perhaps your greatest fear today is losing love. I think it might be for many of us. But the gospel brings freedom from this idol as well. You're not guaranteed tomorrow with the person you love. But the resurrection of Christ assures that the greatest love ever known will never be taken away from you. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. The tomb is empty. And He has ascended to the right hand of the Father and He reigns forever. Jesus died, and guess what? He rose again. And all those in Christ, although they die, they will rise again. You see, your fears can be a multitude of different things, but those fears can be turned into joy today, this Resurrection Sunday. I pray that God will bring new life. He will breathe His Spirit over you, that you will receive His power, that you will adopt His purpose for your life, and that all of your fears will be turned into joy as we enter His presence. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we enter this time of response and communion, that we would realize that we are entering and we are in the presence of Almighty God. As we prepare ourselves to partake of communion in a while, I pray that we would be partaking of that new covenant. That we would forsake and we reject the idols of power and achievement and relationship and we would bask in the goodness of your presence. Father, I pray that you would empower us to be your people, that we would take the purpose you have for us and hold it close to our hearts, that we would find great value in whatever it is that we do, in the workplace or at home or with our friends. May we look for ways to point to your love, your truth, and the joy that you give. Lord, I pray over everyone here, including myself, that you would relieve us from fear, that we would find comfort and joy in knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now we have an opportunity to respond to what God has been speaking to us about during this service, through the music, through the reading of Scripture, these beautiful stories and accounts of um, the resurrection and through the sermon. Tonight I want us to, uh, to focus on this concept of fear and idolatry. And what Daniel said at the beginning, I, um, you can do this by the way, I didn't believe what he said at the beginning. I don't know if anyone else was feeling like this. When he said, um, if you have fears, it's because you're struggling with an idol. When he said that, I thought, I don't think that, that's not true. So I wrote it down with question marks. I was going to talk to him about it tomorrow at staff meeting. For real. But then, he brought it all home to Jesus. Right? And like a, like a perfect sermon does, he showed us the way that when we are fearing other things, we are saying, God's not enough in this area. I'm looking toward love. For this, or I'm looking toward my career 
for this. And if I fear losing my job, it means that I have put my job in such a lofty place that it will let me down if I lose it. So we have made our job an idol. And it got me thinking of this psalm that David says in chapter 27. Listen to these words and see if your mind has been changed like mine was. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid of? When evildoers come against me to to eat me up, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. If an army camps against me, my heart will not fear. Even if war comes up against me, I will be confident. One thing that I seek, that I have asked of from the Lord, that I might dwell in his house all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his temple. Tonight, where is your gaze? Toward idols that you fear aren't going to fulfill? If that's what it is, use this time as we sing in a moment to lay those idols at the altar of God. You're free to come and kneel here on these pillows at the altar or pray where you are. And as you pray, look toward the table. Because the only way that what David said can be true, the only way that what Daniel spoke about can be true, that God can relieve our fears in Jesus, is if Jesus has conquered our death. If we have taken up our cross with him and died to ourself and forsaken our idols and put him at the center of our gaze. So I invite you, as you confess those sins and as you give up those idols, to come to the front and receive communion. There are two elements of communion, the body and the blood. As you come to the front, you'll see a plate of bread, and you'll take a piece of bread, and the words that will be spoken to you are, this is Christ's body which was broken for you. And you you take the bread and you dip it into the wine or the juice and the words that are spoken to you are this is the blood of the new covenant. And then you partake of the new covenant. And as you do this, place your idols aside and put Jesus at the center of your gaze. And when Jesus is at the center of of your gaze. Your enemies cannot conquer you. Your fears will fall away because those idols have been destroyed on the cross in Jesus. And as you are found right there in Jesus, just like Daniel made so clearly, God is looking at you and he's not seeing Larry, the arrogant, sinful, greedy, man that he is. He's seeing his son Jesus who died for that arrogance and that greed and that sin. And he's saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Tonight, fix your gaze on the Lord. Let your fears fall away along with the idols that Jesus defeated on the cross. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for the resurrection. You have risen, you have risen indeed. Tonight, 
We stand right there, gazing on your beauty. Conquer our fears for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.